Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. You can be seated today. Amen. Thank you again for being with us. A little thing about that communion today. Yeah, you know, I, d- I don't like the self-serve communion. I've, I've, I, we serve it, but it it's, has a terrible taste to it. Um, it's like eating a styrofoam peanut, for those of you who take it. But yesterday, I asked Donna if we could do this, and she said that we know we're out of crackers, and it's such a commodity right now because no one's serving fresh communion right now, and so uh, no one is ordering it and keeping it in stock. And then suddenly I get a text that says, hey, we're good for tomorrow. And uh, I said, where, where did you get that communion? And she was like, well, I'm very skilled at a few things. And uh, so I think she stole it from another church. I'm just going to be honest with you. I think somebody this morning went to take communion. They didn't have any. I don't know. But we took it and it was good. So thank you, Donna, for making that happen. So um, I'm going to preach today on a topic on misinformation. And I have a little bit of a cold, uh, cold with a C, but it's not the other C. I don't have that. Um, but I do have a cold, and so forgive me for sounding a little a little rough in the voice today. But I want to talk about an old story this morning, and I want to quickly apply it to our lives. And as I've done so much, you know, and I'm very candid from the pulpit, and you guys know that, but um, I uh, have thought so much about how different church has been uh, for the past couple of years, uh, just the the swings and how little communities like ours um, can can struggle and how gathering has been difficult and how we've had to learn how to do church um, with technology and those kinds of things. And I'm thankful for all of that. I'm thankful for all those that are joining us online today. Um, but... I also think that over the past two years, we've probably looked at more information uh, than we ever have before in terms of trying to find it and and use it to navigate our lives from. And information is power, um, you know, to know truth, it sets you free, and and to have access to to truth is one thing. But I think being misinformed is also a very powerful thing. So. We've looked a lot the past two years at things like the pandemic or politics and uh, potential wars and all of the conspiracy, too, that comes with those things like uh, who started it, who's really behind it, um, what the agenda was, the intention, things that we're never going to know the, uh, the whole story on. But uh, media outlets and memes alike um, have both jumped in with both experts and novices trying to communicate to us over uh, a myriad of platforms um, uh, that they may have the answer that all of us are looking for. And so they're trying to say, well, this is the real story, and this is the real story, and this is the real story. And, uh, you know, primetime television basically conflicts itself, as as does a lot of, of the major media outlets, but 
Um, I love my, my wife, but I, I can't tell you how many times in the past two years she said, hey, read this, and handed me her iPad, and then I read something that is just very bizarre. And my sarcastic reply really over the past 24 months has been things like, so you're saying it wasn't Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick or uh, something like, oh, you know what you're saying? They're hiding Tupac's body. You know, whatever it is, I'll just make up something. It's really irritating to her because... She's like, I think this may be it. I think this, may, this might, might be the answer. And I'm just slow when it comes to, to reading information and giving credibility to it because misinformation is a very, very powerful thing. And as a matter of fact, I want you to think for just, just a second or two about some point in your life when you were told something. Maybe it was from someone like me who had a microphone or it was from a counselor, a mentor, an influencer, a doctor, an attorney, or an educator, or a friend, or a parent, or a spouse, someone who was in your life that you opened a door for, and they shared something with you, and it turned out when they applied it to their circumstance, it, it, didn't, it didn't play out very good for you. And so because of that, you didn't get better, and now you got bitter because of the misinformation. Like, you led me astray. I trusted what you said. And it didn't come out to feel good. And now you kind of feel betrayed about being misinformed, okay? So now here you are, and maybe you're a skeptic or you're acidic. And I would tell you that I join you in that caution. I, I, I really do. I join you in that experience because it's happened to me multiple times where uh, someone who had influence in my life misinformed me, and I took it, and I, did, I used it in my life, and it turned out to create havoc. I totally get it. But misinformation, again, is so powerful. How many of you re remember uh, the world before smartphones or internet? Okay, if you're here today and you remember what it was like living life without a smartphone or internet. I, I had this conversation with my daughter this week. I said, I used to go to a physical building called a library, and it had a door and windows and everything. And you'd walk in, and then you accessed what was called a card catalog. And now you can find that, that piece of furniture in any garage sale on a weekend. They're, they're everywhere. And the card catalog was your greatest friend. And it had one card per every book in that library. And you would pull it uh, and you would locate the book you wanted to find. And then you'd have to climb, you know, three flights of stairs to find said book. And then you'd pull said book and sit with said book and open it up and go through research. And you would either take copious notes out of the book or for 10 cents a page, you could Xerox it and fill your trapper keeper up with physical research and take it home with you. I mean, it was amazing. Anybody have a trapper keeper? Two of us? Come on, y'all. Say amen. If you had a trapper. Yeah, I had a Dukes of Hazard trapper keeper. And I had a Green Lantern one, too, okay? Yeah, it, it, it didn't get near the applause that the Dukes of Hazard one had. I, I wish I still had it because it'd probably be worth a couple hundred bucks if I had a Dukes of Hazard Trapper Keeper. But I would fill it up with all these notes and it was organized and you had you know, a folder for this and a folder for that and a folder for this and you would, you would there, there was no texting someone. If, if you had a question, you had to go out into the world and find it. So you had to go to a, a library, find it, Call someone, sit down with someone who was smarter than, than, than you were, and you had to ask them the question and then interview them and take notes and say, what do you think about this? And it, it, was, it was a very, very different world. And uh, my first phone came in a bag. 
Okay, we actually we called it a bag phone, and it looked like a Bible case with a handle. And uh, when you're in seminary, that is, is awesome because you could take your phone and zip your Bible up in it, and you get a kind of a two-for-one deal. And I'd be walking across campus, and I'd say, is that a bag phone? And I'd be like, yes, it is, because I'm important like that. Expect Billy Graham to call it any moment. Now, all that we want to know or don't know is found within seconds. It's amazing. Um, you can type in anything on your phone this morning and find unlimited amount of articles um, about it, and you've got to know what's credible and what's not, but typically you can find the answer to anything you want uh, from your phone or computer, and it's just amazing the information landscape and how it all has changed. But to bring this into the church this morning in our topic today, I want to look at the very first story, and it's the story of Adam and Eve. And so, um, like I said a few weeks ago, many people, even believers like you and I, um, have been going to the story of, uh, of, of Genesis, specifically Adam and Eve creation, and we look at that, and sometimes it's, it's kind of hard for you to latch on to because you say, well, we know so much about the world, and we know so much about science, so this is, what, what is this? This can't be accurate because um, it's probably just uh, literature, it's ancient storytelling, it's the Hebrews version of creation, uh, but maybe not for us in the modern church or westernized world. And so I want to pause and explain just a little bit about what Genesis was for. So Moses, its supposed author, was leading God's people out of slavery now, he was also leading them out of a mindset of slavery because they had been slaves for 400 years. Now, that's about 16 generations of slavery, of people being told that they were beneath, of people being kept in poverty, of people not being able to worship the way they wanted to worship, and so on. So for 400 years, they were really removed from the promises of Abraham and what God wanted to do in that particular promise and how it trickled down to them and found them in their special time. But as Moses is leading this group of people and he gets in touch with who they are, he realizes they need to be reconnected with God. And I think he sees that because Moses has heard a word from God. He is carrying miracles around almost daily, and yet they are having such a hard time connecting with it. At what point they're, they're, they're even saying, let's, let's stone Moses and let's just go back to Egypt. I mean, at least we knew what to expect. It was easier for us. The days were consistent. We know how to be slaves. We don't know how to be warriors. We don't know how to be people of faith. And so Moses is striving in his writings, and it takes him a lifetime to do it. But his goal is not to give them an account of creation. His goal is to connect them with the ultimate authority for their lives, and that is a creator who had a plan for his creation. So don't get so caught up on on the way it's written or what you think you know versus what he knew and, and, and so on. Keep in mind the intent was to go, these people need to hear the story of God and I'm going to write it down for them. 
That's what Moses was trying to do in Genesis. So they had been misinformed for 400 years. Now, here's, here's a big point to take away this morning. When you are misinformed, when you believe a lie, it affects your life as if it's true. Okay? So it no longer matters that it's a lie. If you believe it, then you give it power and you give it authority in your life. And even though it's a lie, if you believe it, you've, it affects your life as if it's truth. So there may be some of you here this morning and you've heard or believed a lie since you were a child. Maybe it was those typical things we talk about that you weren't, that you weren't a, a good-looking kid or that, or that you weren't smart or that you weren't going to make it or you were going to be just as poor as every other person in your family. And you took that and swallowed it, and that lie to you is truth. And so you've been living your life out with various lies in your heart that you've given authority to. Moses is trying to reach in and say, I'm going to pull these things out of you because you have been misinformed. And you've believed the wrong information and now you've built a theology around it. You've built a life, you've built your marriage around it. And now you're raising your own kids in it around misinformation that you've given authority to. And that alone is a powerful, powerful concept. So I want you to look with me in Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your Bible or you've got you version, and I would say, say this to you just as a reminder while you're going there. If you do not have you version, you should get it. It's an amazing app. It's by Life Church, Craig Rochelle's church. It's amazing. They've done a phenomenal job with it. But if you do not have a paper Bible and you want one, I'll buy you one. Just talk to me, okay? I want you to have a, have a Bible. So go to Genesis 3 and wait on me, and I'm going to recap Genesis 1 and 2 just quickly. In Genesis 1, God creates an incredible environment. It's amazing. The story is so attractive. People, when they do a one-year Bible reading, they never struggle to make it through Genesis. It's exciting. There are parts of it that's like the Jerry Springer show. You know, it's just, you read it and you go, how in the world did that just happen? Um, all kinds of drama, family um, dynamics are happening. People are lying, getting drunk, going to war. Um, God's starting over. People building boats, flooding stuff. You've got sons fighting. You've got entire nations splitting. It's, it's crazy. But God creates a world. He puts people in it, and he gives them two directives. He says, I want you to have I want you to fill the earth, and then I want you to have dominion over it. That's it. So fill it up. Have kids, grandkids. Enjoy your life. Enjoy this environment I've given you, and have dominion over it, okay? You are the number one person on this planet. You rule the whole thing. You're over the animals. You're over creation. There's nothing I've built that is, that is above you. You are to have dominion over the whole thing. And he says, but there are two things to do and one thing not to do. And so in Genesis 2, it's him unfolding the not to do. And he says, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can have anything. You can eat any, any fruit. You can touch anything. You can explore 
You can enjoy. This is a magnificent place that I have built for you. I've spoken it with my own words. It is coming to existence solely for you. Enjoy it. Fill it up. Have dominion. Do not eat of that one tree. So God communicates clearly. I want you to have power and purpose and pleasure in this environment. There's just one thing you can't do. You can't eat of that tree. And in Genesis 3, where you're now waiting on me, introduces a new character. And this is a character that was not previously in chapter 1 nor in 2. But suddenly we find this new character introduced in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So as it is with any good story, there's a protagonist and there's an antagonist. And the serpent, this crafty beast, has become the antagonist. This craftiness does not mean he's good at a matchstick house or making custom jewelry. The word means this, to be cunning, to be subtle, okay? That even breaks down more, to approach one quietly or appropriately, to subtly come into your space. There's no pomp or circumstance. There's no dramatic music. It's just, he's just there. He just shows up. It's subtle. It's very cunning. Now, in Genesis 3, verse 1, he says to Eve, he says, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Just very subtle. They're just talking about what God says. But instead of having an exclamation point on what God says, the serpent, being subtle and cunning, puts a question mark on it. Did God really tell you this? And I want to pause for just a moment and let, let this sink into our everyday lives. Because some of us in this room are hanging on to a word or a promise, something that you feel like the Lord spoke to you or spoke to your family about. Maybe you started this year and you prayed. I know a lot of people who, who do this. They pray for one word for every year. What is going to be my word from God for 2022? And you feel like you've got that, that word. And now you are going through something or you see something around you and now you've got the same question. Did God really say that? Did God really say that this was going to be a different year? Is this really the scripture that God has for my family? Is this really the word for me? Did God really say that? So I want to ask us, I don't know if you've ever read through Genesis 3 and you've asked yourself this. I've wondered it before, but why the serpent did not attack Eve like we normally see a serpent attack? I mean, he wasn't curled up under a bush like a rattlesnake. and He didn't shake his tail and warn you that he was close. Like a cotton mouth, he didn't just suddenly come out of nowhere and strike you and you 
feel the fangs bury into your skin. It wasn't like that. I mean, we've all seen Indiana Jones or Jungle Book or Snakes on a Plane. We've all seen how it could play out, but it didn't. He didn't show up with fear and fangs. He showed up cunning, subtle. And so this is how he presents himself, and he actually attacks her not with fangs and not with fear, but he attacks her with an idea. Just, just something barely skewed from what God had said. And this starts out with a deceptive idea. Did God really say that to you? Now, this question as it was addressed to Eve could have gone a couple of ways because he's brilliant. And so the question, did God really say, first addresses Eve and it says, maybe you got it wrong. Maybe you didn't hear God well. I mean, he is God and you are human and maybe in that gap, you really missed it. That He didn't make this promised you. He didn't speak a word over you. He didn't give you a word for the year like you think he did. This is, you missed it. Maybe you're wrong. And if Eve doesn't fall for that, then he takes it up to the next level. And he says, maybe God got it wrong. And I've talked to you many, many times before about how we get tempted in this ourselves. How many times in our lives we, we can look at this and say, God, you got it wrong. If you had just showed up in my marriage a year ago, this wouldn't be happening. You know, God, if you would just show up at St. Jude just one day and clear the hospital, those poor kids would not be suffering like they are. God, if you had done this, God, if you had done that, did God really say this? Did he really do it? Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe God got it wrong. And it's just, it's this idea. You can't really put your finger on it. You can't reach in and extract it. Maybe you don't even know where it came from. You just know you've got it in your head bouncing around. It may be something in you that you've believed and thought to be true is misinformation and, is, and it starts with just a deceptive idea from a cunning serpent. But the woman corrects him and says, no, you got it wrong. We can eat from trees in the garden. And she continues in verse three and she says, God did say, you must not eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, I want to hit the brakes just, just a little bit there to reveal something important because maybe Eve is shook up, right? Maybe she doesn't like how the serpent is making her feel. Who knows? Maybe it's weird to see a talking serpent. Maybe she doesn't like God being questioned, but regardless of the reason, she takes the serpent's questioning and responds to him with an exaggeration. Because God never says you can't touch it. God says you can't eat it. But feeling like she has to defend God or defend herself, she stiffens the original command and modifies it, and the serpent sees an opening. So in Genesis 3 and 4, he tells her, you will not certainly die. 
And then he goes on in verse 5 and says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be opened. Watch this. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this deception actually has a lot of truth to it. They did not die, at least not immediately. Their eyes were opened, and they did, for the first time, understand evil had come into the world. But the serpent, what he's appealing to is Eve's desire to be like God. Okay? And let me just preach it this way. You've got a part of you that nothing can feel except the Father. Nothing. It's the way you're made. You can run from God your whole life and just run it empty. You could be the wealthiest person. You could be Jeff Bezos and building rockets. And do anything you want that money can buy you and still not have that part of you full. You can be famous where everybody on the street knows you. You can have all the check marks that for you personally equate to success. But if you don't have the love of the Father in your life, that part of you is going to be empty. She wanted to be like God because that's how she was designed to be with him, to be like two pieces in a puzzle, connected and responding to each other, to have the choice to be separate, but to choose to be together. And so she wants to be like God. And I know that you've probably heard this many, many times if you've been in church, but the serpent has no creative power. He has no creative authority. Never do we read in Scripture in his experience with us that he creates anything, but he can distort whatever he wants to. He creates um, imposters. He can take something that is holy and make it unholy, and something that is sacred and make it unsacred. He can take all kinds of things that you and I use for good and spin it. He can take the value that we place on money and resource and spin that, and us fall totally in love with an object of money. He can take love in its purity and sacred and make it dirty and nasty. He can just spin it. He can distort something. So he's a master at taking truth and turning that into misinformation. And it's not like it's obvious. You know, it comes with a disclaimer. Like, I'm about to lie to you, so get prepared. No, a lot of times it sounds like God, and it looks like something God would say, but it's just turned just a little bit. You know, sometimes, and I've, I've told you many times before, but I, I, I don't have this gift where I, like, you know, clearly hear from God. You know, like, like his voice, you know, rattles through the hallways at my house. That doesn't happen. Angels don't appear at my home. I don't get a sermon in the mailbox every year or every weekend. 
That's not how it happens. I really strive in this area. And because of this, a lot of times I'll call people who I trust and go, I think I'm hearing this from God. Do you see any red flags in this? Why? Because I know that if I'm not careful, I can mislead things and misguide things. And I can take an office of the pastor and wield that and use it and it end up doing damage if I'm not careful. Because once you put like, I believe the Lord has said this to me on something, it can easily become misinformation. And I'm only telling you this because I want you to be encouraged that sometimes the enemy can sound very close and it's It kind of looks like it, it smells like it, it walks like it, but if you're not careful, the punctuation is just a little off. The implication is just a tad off, and suddenly we find ourselves misinformed, and it starts with a deceptive idea. That deceptive idea graduates to a distorted desire. The desire that Eve had to be like God is not wrong, it's beautiful. But he takes it and spins it, and this is how. He takes a legitimate desire to be like God, but he wants her to buy into a shortcut. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or say amen, but how many of us like a shortcut, a good one? I do. I'm drawn to it. I mean, a couple times every year, we'll, we'll go to Florida just to relax and hang out, and I'll put it on maps, and it'll tell me I can be there in 10 hours and 3 minutes, and I'm determined I'm going to get there in 9 hours and 5 minutes. And I'm going to do that. by Bob. Ain't nobody using the restroom on, on, on this trip. I hope you got a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos and a Mountain Dew because we're not stopping. I am determined I'm going to beat Siri to this point. She doesn't know how efficient I can be on this drive. Why? Because I want a shortcut. I want to get there faster. Case in point, why do you think people lie? They want a shortcut. They lie a lot to escape discipline. Why? Because when you realize you've done something wrong, a lot of times it comes with coaching. It comes with sharpening. It comes with some teaching moments. And those aren't comfortable. They don't feel good to our ego that someone who has authority in our lives creates a timeout and coaches us through a process so that we can become better. So we lie to bypass the discipline. But the process of learning and going through something is so much more valuable and important in our lives than bypassing the sharpening. We lie to get ahead at our jobs rather than take an honest path to success. It's like if I can lie and get ahead this year, then what would take me doing in honesty take me four years, I want that shortcut. We're drawn to it. We lie to impress people. Rather than let them get to know us, to spend the time with them, to share our story, to open our lives up in full honesty and transparency, we will lie to them to bypass that whole thing so that we can just get to the part where I love you and you love me and we're good with each other. An example of that is this. The number six show on television is about one man who simultaneously dates 50 women to find the one. And we all know that intimacy requires honesty and exclusivity and transparency, and that show has none of that. But it's the number six show because it's opposite of all those things, and we love watching the shortcut of who is he going to pick? I got to know. 
As a matter of fact, there are a lot of you who may watch that show, and you can't even watch the show unfold. You've got to go online and read a spoiler to find out who he's going to pick, and then you watch the season. Why? Because you want a shortcut of the shortcut. We love the shortcut. And what the serpent does is he says, hey, if you eat that fruit, you'll be like God. You don't have to talk about it. No more praying, no more fasting, no more reading your Bible. You just be like him. Do it. Take the shortcut. It's just a, a distorted drive there for what, what we want to do. And it ends with destructive behavior. Now, these three things are not bad by themselves. And what I mean by bad is we tend to brush them off easier. We take a deceptive idea or we take a distorted desire or we take a destructive behavior and by themselves, they seem okay, right? I mean, if I have a deceptive idea, well, that was just bad information and I can learn from that and I'll get over it and I'll move on. If I have a distorted desire, well, that was just temptation and I fell right into it but I'm going to learn, I'm going to do better. If you have a, a, a destructive behavior, you tend to ask yourself, what was I thinking? I look back into my year, my 20s. And I, was, I was a youth pastor in my 20s, but man, I did, I did crazy things, things I'm so thankful Facebook is not, was not, did not live there. It's like we say, the, the 90s, it was a great decade with no proof that any of us existed. It was amazing. But how he, how the serpent steals and kills and destroys is to engage you in all three. And it has a, a suction with it. It pulls you down into this. And it can all happen in one setting. Adam and Eve proved this. So how this story starts, again, to recap, is the serpent starts just by questioning Eve's authority. Did God really tell you that? And it ends with her choosing a behavior that she was told not to participate in. So let me apply this quickly because I'm running out of time. I think what, what, what we have to do as believers, people who are following Jesus, is to do this. Be careful with what questions you are giving space to. Be careful what questions that you give space. How much mental real estate are you giving that thought that's in your head? Now, let me, let me give you just a, a few of those. Okay, It could be what he originally said, and you are sitting here today, and you're thinking, did God really tell me that? Did God really tell me to start a business? Did God really tell me to relocate? Did God really speak this word over me? Did God really do that? Some of you may be here this morning and you're thinking, does my spouse really love me? And that's a question mark in your heart. You're asking that. I mean, do they really love me? It's from a place of being guarded. Like you don't want to be misinformed. You don't want to be misled. I mean, if you're going to hurt me, then you just go ahead and do it and get it over with. 
It's bouncing around in your head. Sometimes, this is sad, but sometimes as even believers, we, we have moments where we go, man, I don't, I don't, am I really saved? Like, am I really there? Because I don't feel saved. Like, I don't feel, I feel like the old me, you know? Like, I don't feel redeemed, and I don't feel like I'm growing, and I don't feel this, or I don't feel that. It just bounces around. Suddenly, you've just got this deceptive idea in you that just starts to eat away at you and get stronger and stronger. So, I'll tell you this quickly. Be careful with misinformation. Your friends may love you, but they may tell you the complete opposite of what God wants you to hear. I'm sure Job's wife loved him. There's no doubt. But she came to him and I believe it was not with sarcasm how we often preach it. I believe it was with a heart full of love that she was struggling to watch him suffer. And she said, Job, I don't know what's happened. But you just need to curse God and die. Just let him kill you. Because I can't watch this. It was terrible information. We can be misinformed and believe that for years and years and years. So be careful with your misinformation. Two, know full well that God is the authority of your life. I talked about this just a few weeks ago about lordship. Come under the lordship. I have a boss in my life. It's Jesus Christ. And there are things I cannot do because he is the Lord of my life. Because when I gave my heart to him, I said, I will come under your lordship. And third, I'm going to do what he asks of me. And life takes care of itself. Okay? So listen, some of you are making living for Jesus too hard. You're making it too complicated. You're, you're making it into something that you can't manage and can't sustain. Just do what the Lord has asked of you, and life will take care of itself. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. It's going to be challenging. If you have a kid, you know it's challenging and expensive. It's going to be challenging, but it will take care of itself. When you do what the Lord is asking you, you're not looking over your shoulder. You're not waiting on somebody to catch you. You're not full of guilt and shame. You're living from an overflow of what God has put in you. And when the storms come, you can rest assured you're going to make it because you have done what he said to do. All right? Don't be misinformed. God, I pray over every heart today and every ear that has received information and believed it. It is, they've been misinformed. Lord, something subtle and cunning has made its way into their spirit today that is subtle and cunning and it has given an idea that has grown into something that is destructive. God, maybe it's in a friendship. Maybe it's in a marriage. Maybe it's in their walk with you. But they believed it. 
It's developed roots. It's produced fruit. But God, I pray you put your hand in that. Remove it. Oh, there are things that have been spoken over people since they were children that they've believed. They built their life around. They've now built their marriage around it. They're raising kids around it. Let I pray against that misinformation in Jesus' name. Oh, there are people in this room today who gave up on a skill, a gift, a passion, a calling of God because they were misinformed. Lord, would you just speak truth into this room right now? Just bring the truth over every home, over every life, and every kid, and every student, and every young adult, and every young married couple. To every old married couple, speak the truth that we might be free. In Jesus' name we pray.